Hello, friends, and welcome to the Coastline Baptist Church podcast. We hope this message will equip, encourage, and edify you in your journey of life. We'd love to connect with you. Please email us at info at coastlinecc.org. And for more information about our church and our services, visit coastlinecc.org. Now let's open our hearts and open God's Word. We've through five chapters. We started chapter six, I believe it was two weeks ago. Um, and uh, so we're going to just review chapters one through five, get some principles from them, and then be done for today and just uh, give some good reminders. So I've enjoyed the series so far. It's been a blessing and help to me. But we're starting off in John chapter one. The apostle John wrote the book of John. One of Jesus' disciples, one of his followers, wrote the book of John. Not to be confused with John the Baptist, who we see in chapter one here. And again, we've, it's been a long time since we've been in John chapter 1. Probably uh, in 2021, in December, was the last time we were there. And, uh, but in John chapter 1, I'll just read the first few scriptures, and I'm going to give you the first point there for, uh, for your paper there. John 1.1 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Verse 14 of John chapter 1, you'll see it says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That word, word that we see in John chapter 1, capital W word, is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. The reason that uh, uh, the, the word, word is used is because Jesus is the direct expression of everything God is in human form. That's why it says in verse 14, the word was made flesh. God, the word of God, who he is, what he would say if he were here on this earth, came to earth, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was God. And that's the first point there. Chapter 1 says, Jesus is God. So well, I already know that. That's, that's pretty common knowledge. Not Listen, there's a lot of religions out there, a lot of belief systems out there that say Jesus was a good man. Jesus was great. He was a great teacher. He was a rabbi. Um, he was sent from God. Uh, some people would say, he, yes, he was the Son of God. But many believe, don't believe that Jesus is God. That he is God in human form, Jesus, the Son of God, who was God. The scriptures are very clear that says, the Word in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. In verse 14, the Word made flesh and dwelt among us. That's a very important truth to remember as a Christian. It's pivotal. It's so important to understand and believe that Jesus, the same one who came and lived a perfect life, and did miracles, and proved that he was the Messiah, as we've talked about for weeks and weeks and weeks. Then that same Jesus went to the cross, was beaten, was abused, was mocked, was tortured, was put on a cross, and died on a cross, was put in a tomb, and rose again. That Jesus is God. It's God in the flesh. So people say, God came to earth to die for the ones he created. Yes, that's true. That's the love of God. So chapter 1, all throughout this chapter, and we see John the Baptist in there as well, uh, you know, proclaiming the way of the Lord and preparing the way for him. And, and, uh, but the main truth that we see in chapter 1, and really throughout the whole book of John, the main message is that Jesus is God. He is who he says he is, chapter 1. Chapter 2, and we're going to uh, 
move through these quick so we can get to those thoughts to remember chapter 2. We come when Jesus is now an adult. He's, a, he's a, um, starting his earthly ministry, and his first miracle that he performs is at a wedding. Now, listen, I was at a wedding last week, uh, um, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of weddings that, that could use some miracles, right? Can, can do, you know what I'm saying? I mean, just like, man, we were at a wedding um, growing up. Our wedding could have used a miracle. If, we, if, if our place we took our photos was a little bit closer to our reception place, people would have been a lot less ticked off at our reception, man. It was, we went 20 minutes one way, the reception was 20 minutes the other way. This was back when, uh, you know, 12 years ago, people were still doing the big receiving lines, you know those? We had six people on each side, I think it was, maybe eight, I don't remember. We had a lot of bridesmaids and groomsmen, and we all stood in a line right at the exit, and everybody had to walk through. All my friends from college were like, I don't even know who these people are. Why am I hugging them, you know? Listen, and then our, we took all of our pictures after the ceremony. That's why people don't do that anymore, because it just takes too long, man. I had a wonderful jazz band at a reception. I didn't even get to see them because we took too long. So, you know, I hope they were good. But wedding, there's a wedding here in the scriptures, and Jesus is there, and he performs a miracle. We, we see it. I'll just read some scriptures here. In verse, uh, chapter 2, um, verse 1. And the third day, there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus, Mary, saith unto him, they have no wine. So that's a pretty big problem, especially at a wedding in the New Testament times. Uh, man, that was important. That was an important part of the hospitality of the uh, bride and groom's family, that they would provide refreshment and wine for the guests. And when you ran out, they, these were like week-long celebrations. Thank God they're not week-long celebrations now, right? But they were back then. And, you know, people worked hard and families worked hard. And suddenly they ran out of wine. That's a buzzkill, okay, for a party back in the New Testament times. That's a big deal. That's embarrassing. That's in those times, in this culture, almost offensive if you run out of wine. So Jesus, what does he do? Um, this, the mother, Mary, tells the servants at the wedding, hey, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Jesus has the guys uh, get all these giant water pots and fill them to the top with water, all the way to the top. And what does Jesus do? He turns the water into wine. And the leader of the feast, of the ceremony, says, Man, usually people bring out, you know, the best first and then the cheaper stuff after. Man, you've saved the best for last. That's awesome. So Jesus saved this party. Doesn't take any credit for it, by the way. Didn't say, that was me. I did that. Didn't do that at all. And you remember, we, we preached, I preached on this several months back from this passage. But chapter 2, here's the main thought. You can write it down. Chapter 2, Jesus solves problems that we can't. Jesus solves problems. That's the second blank on your paper. Jesus solves problems that we can't. Listen, the bride and groom, they couldn't deal with this. Their parents, they couldn't, what are they going to do? Everybody's already there. The party's already happening. Jesus steps in and in grace performs a miracle for this young couple. Saves this party. It seems so trivial, but it's so important. Especially the fact that he, he filled the water pots to the top to the brim. Because think about it, if he only filled them up halfway, people would say, well, he probably just mixed some of the cheap wine in there and mixed it up. That's why it turned, he turned the water. No, no, no. He filled it all the way up to the top so that everybody, nobody could say that it was just some magic. Like, no, Jesus miraculously performed this and turned that water into wine. Jesus solves problems that we can't. Chapter 3, we're, we're moving through. Chapter 3, we see Jesus meets with Nicodemus. Nicodemus is one of these leaders of the Pharisees. 
a very religious, uh, astute man who, who is well-respected in, in the community, very religious. And we, we've talked about the Pharisees, a bunch of Pharisees were these devout religious people who thought they were better than everybody else. They thought they were better than everybody else. They had all these man-made rules, hundreds of extra little rules that weren't in the scriptures, weren't in the, in the Torah and the Old Testament, but they just made them up because they were trying to make everybody, keep everybody in line. So Jesus is with Nicodemus, and Nicodemus at nighttime comes to him to meet with him, to ask some questions. And we see in John chapter 3, let's look at verse 2. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Now pause. Remember what we were just talking about, about Jesus being God, but some believing that, well, he's not God, but he is you know, from God. This is Nicodemus. Jesus had already said that he was the Messiah and things like that, and he was performing these miracles, and they just they couldn't, they couldn't fathom that this guy, this poor carpenter's son, could be the one that they've been waiting for for thousands of years. So the, what does Nicodemus say to him? He says, we know that you're a teacher sent from God. We know that you're, you're, you know, you're doing these miracles. Obviously, God is with you, but we know that it was so much more than that. Verse number three, Jesus answered said unto him, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus completely misses it. Like, how can I be born again? I'm an adult. How can I go back in my mother's womb? I can't do that. And Jesus says, in verse 5, Verily I say unto thee, except a man be born of water, of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. Verse 8. The wind bloweth where it listeth. Thou hearest the sound thereof, but thou canst not tell whence it cometh, whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus in verse 9 is still like, I just don't get it. What's going on? Verse 10, Jesus says, Art thou a master of Israel? Knowest not these things? Verily I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you heavenly things? No man hath ascended up to heaven. But he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And this is where Jesus really kind of gives Nicodemus this very exciting and astounding truth, verse 15, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. In John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Chapter 3, here's the blank. Jesus is the source of salvation. He's the source of our salvation. Nothing else. Nothing more, nothing less. Jesus is the source of our salvation. Nicodemus is like, how can, I, how, can, how can I be born again? How can this happen? And Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's him. That whosoever believeth in me should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus is the source of our salvation. Chapter 4. We're moving quickly so we can get to this last part. Chapter 4. This is when we get to the point. When Jesus is traveling, it says he must needs go through Samaria. Joel, my brother Joel actually preached from this passage. I did the second half. But in this story, we see that Jesus comes to the woman at the well. Not, not a very respected woman. And Jesus comes and says, give me to drink. And, and she's a Samaritan. 
you know, Jews and Samaritans didn't, didn't talk. There was, there was racism at that time, too, between these two groups of people. But Jesus broke down those barriers and said, hey, and just talk to her. And she's almost probably like, why are you talking to me? You're not supposed to talk to me. And Jesus begins and asks her for a drink. And, and um, she says, how, how, why are you even talking to me? You, don't, you guys don't talk to us. Jesus said, if thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink, thou would have asked him and he would have given thee living water. So Jesus is trying to share his truth with this woman, this Samaritan woman. And say, listen, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one that everybody's been waiting for. And she totally, you know, uh, changes the, the, uh, the, she just doesn't get it, just like Nicodemus. And she's like, how can I get living water? The well's not deep enough. And she's just missing it. Jesus says, whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, the water in the well. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And she says, I want some of this living water because then that, that I won't have to come back to the well again. And again, she's missing it. She's missing it. Jesus is talking about rescuing that thirst of the soul. We're, listen, we all are in desperate need of something, including the Samaritan woman. She just didn't see it right in front of her. And Jesus says, go, call thy husband and come hither. And the woman answered and said in verse 17, John 4, 17, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, and that says, in that says thou truly. So, verse 19, the woman said unto him, Sir, thou, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Here's the next point here. Chapter 4. We see Jesus dealing with this Samaritan woman. By the way, in the end, she believes and accepts him for who he is. Chapter 4, Jesus knows every detail of our story. Jesus knows, you can write that down, Jesus knows every detail. Chapter 4, Jesus knows every detail of our story. We know that she accepts Jesus for the Messiah and believes, goes and tells the whole town about it. Jesus knows every detail of our story. Chapter 5, chapter 5, we get to Jesus, and this is just a few weeks back, Jesus healing the man at the pool of Bethesda, this crippled man who was there and uh, uh, had been there for, I think, 35 years, the scripture said, just unable to walk and, and it just, no hope. And he, every time he tried to get to the pool to, to get this healing uh, that, that was supposed to be there, he just couldn't make it. And he, and he had all these excuses and, all, and Jesus, Jesus gave him the ability to walk. He performed a miracle in this man's life. We talked that Sunday about rest, about how this man had no rest in his soul, in his body, nothing. And he was still trusting in his religion and not the Savior, even after he had the miracle. And then the Pharisees, who were so upset at Jesus for performing a miracle on the Sabbath day. We talked about the Sabbath and rest and, and all these different things, how neither, neither the crippled man who found his uh, ability to walk again from Christ or these religious Pharisees who just couldn't see past their rules and regulations and legalism and they, they missed the whole miracle. Neither one of them had to rest. Chapter 5, here's the blank. You can write it down as we, as we get ready to finish up. Jesus, chapter 5, is the only one who gives real rest. That's that last blank, chapter 5. Jesus is the only one who gives real rest. Now, I know we started a little bit late today, so I'm going to finish. I want to finish on time, so i got about 10 minutes, so I want to move through these thoughts to remember. 
Again, this is just a review of the last 25 weeks or so. Um, so I'm packing into one and just, because I, I want us to forget. It's easy to, uh, listen, I don't even remember my notes from 25 weeks ago. So I can understand some of you might not even have been here. With each chapter, with each truth that we just went over, Jesus is God. Jesus solves problems that we, that we can't. Okay, we have them all here. Jesus is God. Jesus solves problem, problems that we can't. Jesus is the source of salvation. Jesus knows every detail of our story. That was chapter 4 with the, the Samaritan woman. And this chapter 5, Jesus is the only one who gives real rest. Through each one of these principles is a, is a truth to live by. With it, it's coupled. I don't want to just leave you with facts. I want to leave you with something that can challenge your heart. Things that we've already heard over the last 25 weeks, but that we're reminding you of today. So with this first one, Jesus is God, dot, 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 and this is the first thought. You can write it down if you want to. Jesus is God, so stop worrying about everything. Jesus is God, so stop worrying about everything. Donald Savini. Jesus is God, so Donald, stop worrying about everything. I think it's sometimes easy to think that just because, you know, here's the pastor of the church, he came out and with his family and planted the church. Wow, what a great guy. What a, what a spiritual guy. Man, he must have it all together. Oh, I wish. <laughs> None of us do, do we? I can often be consumed with worry. I'll say this. In the last two weeks, I have probably had, personally, the most stressful, frantic two weeks of my entire life. You say, wow, has your life been that bad? No, my life hasn't been that bad. That's, that's why certain things can really just creep up. I've had one thing, it seems like one punch after another. Boom, ba-boom, 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 ba-boom. Overwhelming. Have anybody ever felt like that before? Thank you. Oh, I see a lot of nods, a lot of hands raised. But here's the kicker, okay? Jesus is God. Your Savior is God, the creator of the universe. The same one who created the trees and the sky and the clouds, who created the human body, that's my God, right? That's my Savior. Amen, right, Shai? Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. That's... That's the one, the spirit who lives in me. So yeah, life's going to be really challenging sometimes. But my Savior is God. And if he can create all this, and if he can create me, if he can give me the ability to stand up here and preach and sing and teach and, and give, me, give my precious children to us and all these miraculous things that God saved my soul from eternal hell, that's my God. I think I can make it. I think I, can, I think I can get through. Jesus is God. So stop worrying about everything. We also saw in chapter 2, Jesus solves problems that we can't. Right? Dot, dot, dot. Jesus solves problems that we can't. So stop trying to frantically solve them. Woo! This is, listen... Stop trying to frantically solve them. Amen, preacher. That's right. Yes. Hallelujah. That's me, church. That's me. That's me the last two weeks. That's me most of my life. Trying to figure 
things out. Life is hard. This problem came into my life. This trial has entered my door. Oh, what am I supposed to do? I better figure all this out. What can I do? Okay, I got to do this. If I got, I got to work more hours at the job so I can get the money to pay for this. And then I got to make sure I do this. I got to call this. And I try to frantically solve everything. I'll tell you, as miserable as it can be to be in the midst of a trial that you can't fix, that's probably the best place you can be. Because you get to your wit's end. You get to a point when you're like, wow, I have, uh, I've used up all my resources, all my human strength, all my human knowledge, and that problem is still there. And actually, it feels a little worse now. And those are the moments when God can step in and fix it. It doesn't mean he removes it immediately. It doesn't mean he may ever remove it. But the same one who allowed that problem to enter my life, God may not have sent it to me. He's not this vicious, you know, people sometimes think God's just like a kid with a magnifying glass burning a bunch of ants. That's not how it is. But God's in control. So the trials in my life, God has, in his authority, in control, has allowed these to enter my life. And some people will point a finger and say, how dare you? Why would you let this happen to me? God is always at work. And he can solve problems that we can't. We were traveling on deputation. My wife and our boys crossed the country. This is before we moved here. Deputation, if you don't know what that is, it's a weird word. But it's, it's when we would travel with the family to different churches every Sunday, all across the country, all New England, Florida, Tennessee, the Carolinas, uh, Michigan, every Missouri. We would travel to a different church for a whole year before we moved here. We were on the road every single week thousands and thousands of miles and we'd be in a church and we'd get to the church we'd get there early I'd set up a little table with some little banners kind of thing kind of like miniature versions of these that would say Holstein Baptist Church the Savini family and, uh, and I have all these little, these little prayer cards and we'd have a little I had a little bowl of uh, cranberry uh, saltwater taffy that I got from Cabot's Candy out in P-Town and I'd have it out there and what would happen is I'd get up in the church and I would share my work I had a little video I would show um, you know about the cape and things like that I knew nothing about the cape but I kind of thought I did and then I'd get up there and I'd say we're going to the cape if you can help us get there, we'd appreciate it. And then I'd preach or whatever and sing. So we're, that's what we did every week for a year. And I don't miss it one bit. Not at all. My goodness. Eight hours in the car with those four kids. Lord, have mercy. It's amazing I'm still here today, including my precious wife. Um, man, kids get sick in the car a lot, don't they? I'll tell you, especially if you're in the car more, it happens more, just so you know. So, so one trip we were driving from, um, we were driving to Indiana. So we were like somewhere in Ohio. I can't remember where we were, but we were somewhere on the way to Indiana. And Seth was having a really hard time in his car seat, so we, we had to pull up for a little rest area on the highway and switch car seats. But we had, you know, we would be gone for a month at a time, so we were really loaded down with luggage. So we, um, we get everybody, you know, get the car situated, have to take stuff out, put stuff back in. I had uh, all of my, um, at that time, the church we were in, I, I, I was wearing suits to every service. Thank God I don't have to wear suits anymore, but I would wear suits, you know, jacket, pants, shirt, tie. And I had all of my suits, one, two, probably four or five different suits, all the suits I had, because we were gone for a month, in a garment bag thing, like a little zip-up garment bag. And I had taken it out, and I had probably put it on the hood of the car, on the roof of the car without even realizing it. And then we were, like, scrambling, trying to get, make good time, get back, go down the rest, you know, the rest area, and uh, leave, get back on the highway off the exit, and we're driving. And I'm looking in my mirror, and I, I look back, and I notice that where my suits were hanging on the little clothing hook in the, in the van we're no longer hanging there. I said, that's odd. <laughs> so I pull over on the highway and said, did I, I put them back? I know I put them back in. So I go and I look in the back 
not there. I look in the side. Did they fall down? And then I'm like, oh, no. Ah, I think I left them on the roof of the van. What? So I, I'm like, oh, man. So we get back in the car. We take the exit. We, and we're, like, driving on the highway. and look at the other side. Like, you know, where is it? Where is it? Because it was a black garment bag. And it's daytime. Thankfully, it wasn't night. Drive, drive, drive. Lord, please, Lord, you know, like, I have a meeting in two days. It was Friday. I'm like, I have a meeting in two days. I, ha I have no clothes to wear. I wasn't going to show up in, like, shorts and a T-shirt, you know. On the Cape, we can do that. But out there, no. And I'm like, I need, I, oh. And also, by the way, can I just add this? It wasn't like I was rolling in the dough, okay. I couldn't just go out to, you know, Sears isn't really around anymore. I couldn't go out to Macy's and buy a suit. I was broke as a joke, man. We were, we were living... You know, love offering to love offering, getting gas in the tank. And I'm like, so we get there, and uh, we, we circle around to me, and, and we, we went twice back to the rest area, looked in the divot, looked in the, and, and they were gone. They were gone. No suits. And I'm like, well, that stinks. And you know what? I said, boys, let's pray. Let's pray that God gives Daddy his suits back. We need these clothes. We're going to pray, Lord, play, help us. And then, like, it doesn't happen. You're like, Come on, Lord, I'm trying to teach my kids about faith and, like, answer prayer, and now I can't find my suit. So I'm like, oh, man. And it was discouraging, wasn't it, baby? It was discouraging, because it was, it was scary, because you're like, man, I don't have any, I, I saw, and thankfully, my, I was going to my buddy's church, and he bought me a, a, a you know, a, I think a sports jacket and um, some, and some pants and some ties, because everything was gone. Thousands of dollars were and gone. And I was annoyed. But we said, well, whatever. I said, and I kept saying, well, obviously the Lord knew I needed some new clothes. Maybe he knows I'm about to gain some weight or something, and I wasn't going to fit in him anyway. I don't know. And we had prayed and said, okay, Lord, we trust you. We trust you. You know, and it was still a little bit of a worry. I think it was three days later, we were still at that church, kind of in the week, and I, I found a random message on my Facebook, and it was someone that said, hey, um, my name is such and such. I was driving through Ohio and stopped at a rest area to use the restroom. And as I was leaving the rest area, I saw a garment bag on the side of the road. They said, so I, I thought that someone probably would need it. So I picked it up and looked around and no one was there and, and, and just put it in my car. And, and uh, he said, when I got back to my destination, back home in, in Indiana or wherever he was, I can't remember where he was at. He said, I, um, I looked in the pocket and I found one of your prayer cards you know, that said, Savini family. He said, so I wanted to contact you, and I, I'd like to send you your suits back. Now, yeah, that's a wow. Especially when you broke as a joke, okay? You're like, wow, hallelujah. And I said, and I'll tell you at church, that was a problem that I couldn't solve. And he said, well, it's just suits. Yeah, I should, I, it's just suits. I get it. And you know what? I got them back, and I don't fit into them anymore, so it's fine, <laughs> okay? But no, but really... It was just suits, and, and, and truthfully, I don't have a lot of suits anymore. I did donate them or give them away. That was three. That was almost four years ago. But that's our God. Like, even the little things, even the even the things that are trivial, He does care. He does see our problems, and He does solve the problems that we can't. And the truth is, truth is, He can solve the problems that we can solve if we just let Him and stop trying to stress ourselves out so much. We can solve problems. We can solve some problems in our own human strength. And sometimes God does push us to work hard. I understand. I'm not talking about not working. I'm talking about when there's something in our lives that is stressing us out, that is giving us anxiety, that is giving us fear, and we just work so hard to try to fix it in our own power, in our own strength, in our own abilities, and it doesn't happen. 
Jesus solves problems that we can't. Jesus is the source of salvation. And I have to move fast because that story took too long. Sorry. So stop trying to save yourself. Jesus is the source of salvation, so stop trying to save yourself. I've accepted Jesus as my Savior. He moved into my heart. Uh, you know, the Bible says that thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in that heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And I profess that I believe Jesus, so I better work really hard now to make sure that God is happy with me. I better do all the right things all the time because I don't want God to be mad at me. I better make sure this and that. And we say all these different things, church, don't we? We say all these things, and we live a life of stress and fear. As a Christian, as a believer, we're trying our best to appease God like he's his angry father waiting for us to mess up church that's not grace that's not what did it say the words made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory is of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth he is the source of my salvation i won't get to heaven apart from believing on jesus christ and his work and thank God for that. But with that truth that he is the only source of my salvation, I need to stop trying my best to run around and please God with my actions only for the sake of making him, like, I just got, oh, I, wanna, I don't want him to be mad at me. Well, what if he stops loving me? People think if we do all these things that suddenly uh, God is going to love me more or love me less if I don't. We have to stop trying to save ourselves. Does that mean we, that doesn't mean, Paul said, should we sin that grace may abound? As in, should we, you know, now that we're saved and we're not going to hell, can we do whatever we want? And he says, God forbid. No, we're not talking about that. We're talking about resting in the grace of Christ, recognizing his deep, intense love for us, and from that, loving him, serving him. Not because we feel like we have to or he's going to be mad, because I love him. What, look at all that he's done for me. I'll never be able to repay it. And I'm not even trying to repay it. I'm just, I just love him, so I, I give him my life. Jesus is the source of salvation, so stop trying to save yourself. Jesus knows every detail of our story. Here we go, church. Jesus knows every detail of our story, so stop living in shame and guilt over your past. Like this poor Samaritan woman. She's like, I don't have a husband. He's like, yeah, I know you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands, and the one you're with isn't even your husband. But he didn't say, so because of that, you stink. You know, you're terrible. I can't believe you. Even, you know. No, he, he loved her. He showed grace to her. Saved her. Jesus knows every detail of your story. Every dark detail of your story, Jesus knows it. And he loves you anyway. So stop letting shame and guilt of your past control you. I lived that life, church. I lived that life controlled by shame and guilt over sin over secrets, over addiction. Nobody knew but me and what a miserable life that was. I challenge you. I urge you. Let Christ give you freedom. Let him give you freedom. He already knows every detail. You can live transparent. You can live open. You can be shown grace. Many times we don't think we deserve grace. I can't... No, no, no. We are called to give grace and to receive grace. Jesus knows every detail of our story, so stop 
living in shame and guilt over your past. You, you are control, shame is like a cancer. It continually eats away at us. So the second we try to take a step forward for the Lord or for our lives, suddenly that hook of shame and guilt pulls us back and holds us back, and we think we don't deserve it, and I shouldn't, and oh, I just, oh man, I just, oh, what if I screw up again? Listen, we gotta, we gotta get away from that. Christ saved you, he forgave you. Your sins are in the depths of the sea. You're past all that shame. He died for that shame. He died for all that. He knows every detail of your story, so stop living in shame and guilt over your past. And the last one is this. Jesus is the only one who gives real rest. So because of that, stop looking in all the wrong places and fall into his arms again. Jesus is the only one who gives real rest. So stop looking in all the wrong places for rest and fall into his arms again. Man, that, those Pharisees in chapter 5, that crippled man who, found, who was able to walk again, they, they wanted rest, but they were looking in all the wrong places. He was looking for the pool, wasn't he, the crippled guy? Oh, if I could just get to the pool, if I could just get to the pool, man, and get in there, I'd, have, I'd be okay. When he's talking to Jesus, the Messiah, who is God. And the Pharisees, if everybody just kept the rules, we'd be fine. They're looking for rest in all the wrong places. And we do the same thing, church. We look for rest for our weary souls. In money, in work, in relationships, in addiction. Fill in the blank, whatever it is for you. Stop looking for rest in all the wrong places and fall into the arms of Christ again. He will give you rest. He will give you peace in your heart, real, genuine peace. But you have to make that choice to allow him to minister to your heart. He's the only one who gives real rest, so stop looking in all the wrong places and fall into his arms again. Church, I know that's a lot. It's our review. It's a bunch. But would you not forget those? Would you take this paper home, maybe put it on your fridge, put it next to your bed, and remember these truths from the book of John that we've, that we, and we're only five out of, I think, 20 chapters in. There's a lot more. But remember these Jesus is God, so stop worrying about everything. Jesus solves problems that we can't, so stop trying to frantically solve them. Jesus is the source of salvation, so stop trying to save yourself. Jesus knows every detail of our story, so stop living in shame and guilt over your past. In the last one, Jesus is the only one who gives real rest, so stop looking for it in all the wrong places and fall into his arms. Heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, no one looking around. Thank you again for listening to the Coastline Baptist Church Podcast. We hope the message was an encouragement to your heart. Please connect with us through our website, coastlinecc.org, or on Facebook or Instagram. Send us a message, send us an email, and we'd love to connect with you. We'd also love if you could visit us for a Sunday morning service. You can find our address on our website, and our services start at 10 a.m. Our mission at Coastline is simply this, to know Jesus deeply and to show Jesus daily. I hope that we've helped you do that in your life today. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.